Good morning, Hope Lower Town. I'm not sure if Brian mentioned his name. That's Pastor Brian. Uh, I'm here at his pad sitting behind the sacred desk. My name, as he mentioned, is Paul Stiver. Uh, I just, I'm a recent graduate of Hope's uh, Leadership Development Institute. And, and as he mentioned, uh, along with Josh Jeremola, an elder in training here at Hope Community Church Lower Town. Welcome. We're really glad that you're here this morning, or if you're tuning in from the future, be either watching this video from the future. Hi, how's it going? Or listening to the podcast. Hello, how are you? Uh, so I just a little bit. So yeah, as Brian mentioned, we're into our uh, second week here of this sermon series, Growing in Grace. And I thought I'd mention something that I am growing in. Uh, my wife, Allison, and I recently became homeowners. Uh, so praise God for that. Very cool. And I'm learning that I, uh, like a lot of millennials, uh, which I am, uh, I'm not super handy. Uh, so I'm learning how to be handy in, in homeownership. And uh, one thing I've realized, though, is if you do not have the right tool to do a job, you will be miserable. I've tried different. I had a drill that was just, and it just could not get the job done. Uh, we actually recently uh, ripped out a large arborvitae bush. I don't know if you guys are familiar. They, they are actually a result of the fall. Uh, they will not, as far as I know, this is my estimation, they won't be in the new creation. They're terrible. Uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, we ripped out a big arborvitae that actually had, uh, they had cut it down before we bought the house. And then uh, they, <laughs> oh, thanks for the congratulations. Awesome. I can see comments here. Uh, so they cut it down, but they didn't take the roots out. And so the roots grew a massive bush in our front yard that I recently spent two days digging out. And I thankfully had the right tools. I had to go, I had recently bought a sawzall and I also recently bought an ax and I, I had to go to town on this thing to get it out. I just sawzall the roots. Uh, it had formed up against our foundation, just this massive block of roots and finally got it out. Um, but there's nothing more frustrating than attempting to do something and not having what you need. And as we look at today's passage, we're going to see that God's grace has given us everything we need through our knowledge of Jesus. We're going to see that knowing Jesus is true power. And we're going to figure out why and how we should be striving to be uh, holy. So let's get into today's passage. And I just want to start with um, since we only have four verses for this passage, let's start with what Brian preached on last week, uh, starting in, uh, so we're in second Peter chapter one, and we're going to look at verses one through four to start here. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Amen. So as we start, I really want to look at this uh, idea of grace. What is grace? We use the word, we sometimes in these in our circles, we can throw around gospel-centered or that's God's grace. And I, I just want to clarify, what do we mean? The sermon series here is we're growing in grace. What does that 
mean? And I want to look at the uniqueness of God's grace. And so, again, we see God's grace has given us everything we need, Peter says, through our knowledge of Jesus. We have true power through knowing Jesus. And, and we really see that the gift of faith comes with the gift of power, that God brings us to light, helps us to see who he is through Christ, and he backs his call on our lives with power, the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to look at grace a little bit. Grace, what grace is and what grace isn't. Grace is God's gift of salvation and power that comes through knowing Jesus Christ in the gospel. Grace is a one-time thing and an ongoing thing. It is having Jesus Christ and his righteousness as ours forever. And what grace, what grace isn't? Because grace, if that's what grace is, if grace is salvation and power for life, what is what what isn't grace? And, and here's what grace isn't. Grace isn't you supply the power to obey and be accepted by God because of your goodness. Nor is grace you do whatever you want. Grace is not religion and it's not irreligion. It's not legalism and it's not license. It's not doing whatever we want. Something different altogether. Grace is the life of Jesus being realized in his people through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And so as we look back at our, at our passage, verses 3 and 4, where it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So here in this, in our two verses, we see these two phrases that are, are bullet points for us to see what grace is. The first one is, Jesus has given us everything we need. We have everything we need. We have every provision to pursue living in his ways, to pursue walking in righteousness, to pursue a godly life. And this comes through knowing him. And this actually also comes with a no excuse. For the believer, if we've been equipped with everything we need, that means holiness is not optional. That God doesn't expect us maybe to arrive at the peak of perfect holiness, but he expects us to be climbing the mountain and, and to be fleeing from backsliding. Secondly, we see this, Jesus has called us to his own glory and goodness. That we're called, we actually get to participate in the divine nature. And just to clarify, that doesn't mean we become God. It means we participate in his goodness, in his glory. Who he is, we get to experience through the knowledge of Jesus. And so we see this phrase called. What does that mean? And we can bear to mind the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. And there's this passage in the prophets where God says, don't think that I called you. Remember, I've brought you out, but don't think that I called you because you were the most of the peoples or because you were the largest in number. Actually, I called you because you were the weakest and the smallest in number that I might display my power. So we see this saving initiative of God that we look at God and see him acting on our behalf Commentator uh, and author Tom Schreiner says it this way. He says, 
Believers are saved by faith, and this faith stems from the saving righteousness of God. We see that in verse 1 of our passage. Peter uses the word righteousness, Schreiner says, in accord with the way it's used in the OT, where it denounces God's saving activity on behalf of his people. Given the situation of the letter, Peter's emphasis on godly living and his denunciation of evil are unsurprising. Still, Peter does not teach that believers have the wherewithal to produce godliness. It is only by divine power that they are enabled to live in a way that pleases God. God has supernaturally called believers to lives of moral excellence so that the emphasis lies on the grace of God. This changes everything. Why should I pursue godliness? Because God has called me, he's saved me, and he's given me the ability. He's brought me in. He's backing his commands and his desire for me to become like his son with power. I don't have to do this on my own. This changes everything. We receive grace because God acts on our behalf. We receive blessing when we do not deserve it. And just a quick story on receiving blessing when we do not deserve it. This is from my childhood. I, when I was in preschool, I had a teacher named Miss Jane. Uh, and uh, one day my mom and I were in the car and we were driving home and my mom didn't get me something that I really wanted. Uh, and I was being a pill. I was being a terrible kid. I was, and I kept saying, Miss Jane would do this. Miss Jane would do that. And uh, bless her heart, my mom was, we were actually close neighbors with Miss Jane. And my mom said, fine, I'll drop you off at Miss Jane's. And uh, <laughs> it was a good, I think it's a good call. Unfortunately, she didn't see what was coming next. So I went and told Miss Jane, here's what happened. My mom dropped me off here because uh, uh, I probably didn't acknowledge my causing that instance. And Miss Jane took me down to Dairy Queen, which was down the street. And bought me, a, I don't know why I ordered this. I've never had one before or since, but I ordered a Buster Bar from Dairy Queen. Uh, so here I am, this little kid, just holding this massive Buster Bar, getting rewarded for being basically a terrible child. Uh, and, and that's a little bit different than what God's grace is. But uh, I just wanted to highlight, God gives blessing to the undeserving on his initiative, that we are called by grace out of his goodness, out of his generosity, out of his love. And this means we don't obey to earn his approval. We have it. We obey because we have it. We don't obey to earn a status. We obey because we have a righteous status. And this is the uniqueness of grace. This is the uniqueness of what it means to have God working salvation out for his people. See, because this is different than religion, religion or irreligion. In religion, you supply the power to obey and please God as a moral person. In irreligion, you are the final power. You do what you want. You are the standard of authority. It's up to you to hope in yourself and to overcome, to rise, to excel. You set the standards for your own morality. But the grace of Jesus takes neither approach, something different entirely. In contrast to religions that say achieve obedience to please a God, Christianity says obedience achieved by Christ. It takes us away from the inherently self-centered nature of being religious, that I have to look to myself to obey, 
and being irreligious, I have to look to myself to find my path. God's full pleasure in Christ comes to us by grace. That our obedience, our righteousness is a status imputed to us. His righteousness, the Son of God, is imputed. It's given to us as a gift to be received. And we obey because of it. So we obey as a response to grace. Not to earn favor, but because we have it. We've been saved. Similarly, Christianity is different altogether from irreligion because God's word insists that he's creator, divine, transcendent, holy, completely other, and yet personal and intimate. Therefore, we do not define our own standards of morality. We don't get to say what we do and don't do. We look to the Lord, the creator, for his power. And we get used to, I think uh, we can look to God for power. I think we forget how often we actually look outside of ourselves for power. But when you turn it, when you flip a light switch, what do you expect to happen? The light goes on, right? When you turn the key in your ignition, you expect the car to start. We're always looking outside of ourselves for power. And this is what grace is. It's that initial salvation and it's ongoing power. And because it's given to us, because we receive this status and this power, it's not about us. So we're freed from the self-righteousness that being a good person uh, causes us to have because we're allowed to see our weaknesses as power. And we also then don't need to compare ourselves to others and look down on them. So grace does away with sins of comparison, sins of envy, sins of uh, judgment. Because we realize if I've been saved by God's initiative, I owe everything to him. I don't, it wasn't because of me. And this is something where Paul will see, the apostle Paul will call himself the chief of sinners. He remembers grace. And grace is something that Peter had to learn. See, Peter had seen the power of God up close and personal. But he needed to learn the grace of God. And for that, I want to go to Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible handy, go ahead and uh, and flip back a little bit uh, in the New Testament to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at the Apostle Peter's sermon here. And just to give a little context, the, the disciples have gathered. Jesus has ascended. And he says, wait in Jerusalem until power comes from on high. And so the disciples are gathered. And all of a sudden, a wind comes and, and power comes. And people start speaking in different languages. And people are clamoring to understand what's happened. And they wonder, are people intoxicated? And so looking at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And I'm just going to make comments as we go because it's a long passage. But here, if, if our passage in 2 Peter 3 and 4 about power and escaping the corruption of the world through Christ's glory and goodness and a call to holy living, if that's the tip of the iceberg, this sermon here that Peter gives in Second Peter or in Acts chapter two is the rest of the iceberg. We're really going to see where his words come from in Second Peter. So here he says in verse fourteen. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, "Fellow Jews and all who you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. Joke." No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So there's a prophecy that Peter's saying, what we are witnessing right now, 
this Old Testament prophet was actually telling us was coming. So here he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That a new age is coming. It continues, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. See, he's saying God's power is coming and it's coming in fullness to those who will listen. He says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter continues, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Jesus came in anointing and power, and he showed God's power. Which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, Christ was righteous. The wages of sin are death, but he had no sin. So even though he tasted death, the grave could not hold him. He arose in resurrection power. And friends, this is the Christian hope. As Peter calls the world around us corrupt, even our evil desires that we want to cling to, our hope is in that Christ's resurrection power dwells in us. It gives us a taste of the age that is to come when there will be no more sin, be no more evil desires. Peter continues, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he has at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life you will fill me with joy in your presence. So Peter has already quoted Joel 2 and Psalm 16. What he's showing us, as verse 4 of our passage tells us, is how to live by God's promises. He's calling these promises to mind to say what God has done and spoken of, he brings about, and he will bring about. Peter continues, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Here is how David was pointing to the promises when he prophesied. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Later, Peter's going to defend his apostleship and his teaching later in our letter. And he's going to say, I've seen the glory. I have been there with Jesus. And you can listen to me. He says, we are all witnesses to it. Peter continues, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. 
For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, and these words are our words today, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So Peter's called our world in Second Peter corrupted with evil desires. And here we see this lifeline. And here we see the grace of God again. The promise is for all whom the Lord our God will call. God's grace, he calls people to respond to Jesus. Is that you today? Do you need to respond to either uh, salvation grace? Do you need to actually say, you know, today's the day I need to trust you, Lord. I've been running. I've been trying to save myself. I've been looking to all these other things for life. And I just, I've sinned. I need forgiveness. I repent and believe. Or do you just, are, have you been backsliding? COVID and quarantine are tough. It is hard, it is hard plotting right now to live spiritually. And here do you see that you need to receive God's power afresh. Is there a sin that God, you feel God calling you to repent of today? And it continues with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded them. And here we get again, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And just a quick note, uh, if you are tuning in and you say, I'm not a follower of Christ, uh, if you're wondering why uh, you don't always see fully ethical behavior from uh, from followers of Jesus, uh, I know I felt that way when I, before I was a follower of Christ. Uh, one of the things you got to see here is, as Peter, as our name of our sermon series is, we are growing in grace. Uh, that when we are saved, we're not perfected, but we're given the power and ability to grow. So, you might not see us becoming, you might, we're, we're called to become more like our Savior, but you might not always see it. But the one thing you should always see from believers, when we are not living in full integrity, when we are not representing Christ well, be it with our speech or our actions, you should see repentance when you tell us about it. And do tell us about it. Lord willing, you will see such repentance, such intensity, and yet genuine humaneness such gentleness and respect to receive your words that it actually will compel you that there might be something to this, Jesus. We actually have Peter as an example of this. Later in the New Testament era, the Apostle Paul is going to confront Peter. See, Peter was dining with Gentiles, something that under Jewish law was forbidden, but now that Christ has come, that there's no distinction. And Peter was dining with these Gentiles until certain men from Jerusalem came. And when they came, he pushed away from table fellowship with God's people. And Paul called him out on it to his face. See, we can deny God's grace by the way that we live. We can deny God's action or God's grace by our actions. And Peter, I'm sure, repented. 
The mark of a Christian really is repentance when we are shown our sin. And that's what we do. We have to see that coming to Jesus in humility is true power. When we acknowledge our weakness, we're actually stepping into his power. So why does this matter? Why is it important to know Jesus? I want to look at uh, Mark chapter 1, one of my favorite passages in the entirety of Scripture, one that I uh, shed a couple tears, as my wife would tell you, over this week yet again. In Mark chapter 1, uh, it's I think the subheader is just Jesus cleanses a leper. And just to give some context, in the camp, so Jerusalem or in the city where the temple was, that was supposed to be the place of the presence of God. And when people were unclean, they would be set outside the camp. They would not be in or near the presence of God. They'd be on their own often, lonely, uh, and looking to be healed. And after an amount of time, maybe they would be healed of their skin diseases and certain things. And Allison confirms the tears. Uh, and and they would be he- they would eventually be able to come back and offer a sacrifice and be restored to the community. And so in Mark chapter 1, there's, Jesus is out on the outside of town, and this leper comes to him, which you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to approach a man of honor. But here, we, let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. It says this. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Other translations say filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourselves to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And so this this matters. Why it's important to know Jesus matters, because the Bible teaches us that we are born into this world marred by sin. This creation was good, and we see that all over the place. And yet sin mars beauty. Sin takes away from the goodness and the beauty that God gave this world and each of us. It's like throwing red paint on the Mona Lisa. And Peter tells us we've escaped from this world, which is corrupted by evil desire. Peter's summation of history, and often in the New Testament, is that evil desires have corrupted God's good creation, and brought about death. That sin has brought about death. It's been this way since the fall of humanity, our choice of sin in the Garden of Eden. The ark of this world without the intervening grace of God is toward death. And yet, we're going to see grace here. We're going to see a lifeline. When Jesus says, go to the priests as a testimony to them, he wants the priests to know. The final priest is here, the sacrifice, the one that's going to take away sin. And so this leper comes to him 
right? How did the leper hear? He hears about Jesus somehow, and he's, he comes to him. We can imagine him, his thought process. I've heard around Jesus that you have the power. I'm tired of being shut out. I'm tired of living on the edge, on the fringes. I'm tired of not being whole. I want healing. I want transformation. I want to change. I'm tired of this sickness. If you will, I've heard of your power. You can make me clean. So I've come to you. You have the power to restore me. You have the power to heal me. You have the power to transform me. You can take away that sickness that dwells in me. This desperation is Holy Spirit inspired. True and sober self-awareness in the face of Jesus recognizes this reality. That in this passage, we're the leper. We are the ones who have marred our beauty. We're disfigured by our sin. And we are desperate for compassion from someone outside of ourselves. We are the ones that need healing. And so as we think about grace, God's power in salvation and God's ongoing power and provision, we've got to remember this, that we're the leper at the beginning of our faith journey when we first come to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I want the forgiveness of my sins. I put my trust in you. And we're the leper as we continue on in our faith journey, as we continue to pursue healing and freedom from sin. And we always need grace, and we always find it in Jesus. Grace is in God's nature. This is one thing we have to get about who God is. God is generous. He gives life, and he gives of himself. And we can come to him through the Son, and we can receive the Spirit, the power to walk in his ways. And so again, on our own, we are part of this evil and corrupt generation, walking in our evil desires. Without the grace of knowing Jesus, it's kind of, if you've seen Toy Story 3, they're all in the incinerator, and they're headed toward the flame. And they didn't do that on their own. Our sin has brought about the evil and the corruption that Peter's talking about. And later in 2 Peter, he's going to talk about God cleansing the world. And, and when we hear this, it can seem offensive. How could God judge like that? We have to see that God's judgment and his cleansing and his renewal is not rooted in him being an overbearing or domineering Lord. It's rooted in he is so good, so holy, so pure, so just, that injustice and unrighteousness and evil must be out of his presence. And so in Toy Story 3, they're headed toward the incinerator. And what happens? And you get the three little three-eyed aliens, the claw, right? The claw comes down and it saves them. It's a bit different for us. And yet it kind of works in that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who pulls us out of the evil desires, out of the corruption that Peter calls in this world. But he goes through the agony of death. He goes into the incinerator, the cross, 
He takes our place on the cross so that we might be saved and that we might now become like him. Mrs. Potato Head says, you saved our lives to the alien. And Mr. Potato Head says, we are eternally grateful. Friends, we are eternally grateful for God's grace and we respond to it by seeking him, by coming to Jesus and saying, you can make me clean. And we got to see this too. When we look at Jesus, we've got to see who God is. We've got to see, yeah, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Toy Story 3. Sorry about that. We've got to see the compassion of God. And this is actually how we grow in sanctification. This is how we are transformed. By by beholding Jesus, we become what we behold. So just as a confession, I'm an introvert, and I like to plan things. And when people interrupt my plans, my sinful tendency is selfishness. And I really want to hoard and I want to, I want things to go my way. And when you look at this passage and the leper comes to him and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, just on my timeline. Or if you do certain things. Or get out of my face. I don't need a person to bother me right now. I'm trying to focus. No, he says, I'm willing. And now it's when I behold the compassion of my Savior, and then I see myself in contrast. I see the gulf between us, and I say, I need you, Jesus. Heal me. Make me compassionate like you, because I want people to see your glory and your goodness. And so this is why Peter calls us to the promises. He calls us to meditate on God's word until we're overwhelmed by the beauty of Jesus and by God's faithfulness throughout all of time. You might be saying to yourself, that sounds all well and good, but, but not for me. I'm a broken reed. I, I'm unable to stop. I'm incapable of being freed from sin. But the scriptures say a broken, a bruised reed, he will not break. Jesus heals gently. He's the lifter of heads and the bestower of crowns. And so we have to see this. When we look at his divine power giving us everything we need for a godly life, we have to see this thing. This is a reality of who God is and his power over sin, that there is no area of sin in your life that God doesn't have the power and the grace to transform and heal and redeem through his son and his spirit dwelling in you and through living by the promises. There's no sin area that God can't heal. And so we arm ourselves for right thinking and right living by looking to the promises, by looking to the words of Jesus. And this is why we let God's word into our lives. This is why we have to respond. And so we pursue sexual purity. We pursue forgiving parenthood. We pursue uh, repentance from gracelessness toward those we disagree with. We pursue, we flee judgment. We, we fight wasting of our time with vain pursuits. We fight our selfishness with roommates. We fight unkind words to others. We resist those things not to earn God's favor, but because we want to be like him, because we have his favor. 
And so here we see again, we go to Jesus, the eternal son, the truly powerful one, the blessed one, the holy one of God who came into this world to save sinners. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, he went willingly to his death, weak and naked on a cross. And by his resurrection, Jesus opened the pathway for us back to God's grace and power. The truly powerful one became weak for us so that in him we might know his power. He tasted death that we might have life. He was shut out on the cross so that lepers and sinners like us could be brought in. And so now, as Peter says, is the favorable day where we can call on the name of the Lord and experience his grace. And so just to close here, as John Calvin is quoted as saying, the gate of salvation is open to all. Is that you today? The way to resurrection and power and new life is not found in our own strength. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what it means to know Jesus. We surrender our lives to him. We place our trust in him. We live by his promises. We do this once and we do it in an ongoing process, Hope Lower Town. This is what it means to follow Jesus. We pick up our cross. We lay down those things of this world that, that want to cling to us. And we build our life on his promises. We fight sin with his promises. We resist discouragement with his promises. We suffer well living by his promises because God always delivers on his promise. So as we close, God's given us everything we need to participate in who he is. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit. And we experience that grace by coming to Jesus, by looking to him in the word, and by living by his promises. Not because we have to, but because we get to. And it truly is the best life. It's not easy, but it's definitely the best life. And so as we close here, I just want to do something that's a little bit cheesy, but I think it'll... <laughs> God gave me the idea, uh, I believe, so I think it'll I think it'll work. What is one promise? What is something that God has declared that he will do that you specifically need to cling to this week? For hope and for transformation, for growing to be more like Jesus. And I want us to do this. I want when we flip a light switch this week, whatever you get it up in the morning, you turn on a light, going to bed, you turn off a light. I want us to remember that promise that we need. For me, it's uh, actually just really verse three of our passage. I need to know and remember that God has the power to overcome sin in my life. And so, and when I hit light switches this week and the light turns on, I'm going to remember that it's God's power at work in me to fight sin and that I can actually become like he is. Uh, and if you're not a believer... Maybe it's just that you need to know that he loves you, that he's made a way that you can be forgiven and restored to him through Jesus. Please pray with me before we move to a time of communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you that grace is in your nature, that from eternity you have been giving of yourself, that it has overflowed in creation God, and even when we mar the beauty of creation by sin, you give of yourself by sending your son. And Jesus, you go willingly to the cross, and then together with your father, you send 
your spirit, that we might have power to live unto you, that we might be saved from this world and it, which and our evil desires, and that we can actually become like you as we live in your promises. So help us to do that this week, God. We praise you for your grace. Be with us in this time as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.